working in a vertical environment in New York City, our life hazard is tremendous. People that are trapped on the floors above uh, a fire uh, are in, in great peril. So we have to get in and conduct these primary searches as rapidly as we can. Enchanted Sky Media. 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 This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. How do you conduct a primary search? It's one of the most critical actions a firefighter can undertake in a structure fire, and it's also a dangerous task. There are several schools of thought as to what technique is best. For example, there's the oriented search, which we just discussed a few weeks ago. Here to go over a few tips on safely conducting a search is Paul Mastronardi. Paul is a 21-year member of the FDNY, currently serving as a lieutenant assigned to Squad Company 1 Special Operations Command. He's also an instructor at the FDNY Technical Rescue School, and he's a deputy assistant chief at the Suffolk County Fire Academy. Paul joins me now to talk about primary search strategies. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak to folks about firefighting, and I appreciate you, Scott, uh, for all you do for the fire service. So let's talk big picture for a moment. What's more important, getting water on the fire or conducting a primary search? When we sign up for the fire department, either a career path or a volunteer path, we're signing up to accomplish two very important tasks. One is to save lives, and the other one is to preserve property. And to that means, uh, when, we, when we go into a structure fire or there's a report of a structure fire, one of our first and primary uh, tasks and concerns is life. So that's, that's, where, you know, that's where we get into the primary search, Scott. Obviously, there's a, there's, there's a couple of trains of thought in terms of uh, a fire attack and approach to fires. Um, one is an in, indirect attack, which I think that uh, those folks, they, they're weighing a little bit more on the side of fire suppression, and there's more of a direct attack where we, you know, we go in and we, we try to extinguish the fire as rapidly as we can and simultaneously conduct primary searches and searching for victims. Because of the nature of working in a vertical, uh, we'll call it a vertical environment, being New York City, our life hazard is tremendous. Even, even when we, we deal with private dwelling fires, our private dwellings uh, tend to be larger and they're, they're occupied by multiple families. When you're dealing with multiple dwellings, you could have uh, upwards of, you know, a thousand people. And obviously, if you're dealing with high-rise multiple dwelling, the numbers go up from there. So it goes from, you know, from hundreds to thousands. So people, uh, obviously, that are trapped on the floors above uh, a fire uh, are in, in great peril. So we have to get in and conduct these primary searches as rapidly as we can 
to save lives. How do we balance speed, which you just referred to, with with thoroughness? I mean, you want to get done in a hurry, but you don't want to miss anyone. So how do we balance those? It's, it, you know, that's, a, that's a really great question, Scott. I've read, I've read some literature out there, and it, it's quite disturbing because there's a difference between being, being expedient and being reckless and missing things. I call it uh, the kamikaze primary search, where guys search so rapidly, not only are they, they, they're going to miss victims, but they're missing a tremendous amount of clues, and they can get themselves in, into a situation where they become disorientated themselves. So we, we never mistake speed for thoroughness and, and accuracy. Some people confuse the two, and they're mutually exclusive. We, we want to do it as rapidly and as thorough as we possibly can. But one of the one of the things I teach is I actually want my firefighters to stop. I tell them every five to ten feet, which in in reality actually shortens it up a little bit. I tell them to stop, listen, listen to what's going on. All right. I've never heard a, a fire victim say, "Hey, I'm over here." It doesn't happen like that. Either you hear nothing, or if you're lucky, you might hear some moaning. Okay, that will be a trigger to, to where a, a victim might be located. But then you'll hear a lot of other things that are going on during, the, uh, during that, that search. You need to be listening to radio transmissions. Do they have a line in place? Are they having problems stretching the line? Is there a burst length? Are they having problems with water sources? Do they have a serv- are they on a serviceable hydrant? Do they have a frozen hydrant? Is the second do engine delayed? Is the third do engine delayed? We're listening to if there's any urgence, any maydays. So we're listening to all the different radio transmissions that are going on. We want to hear if the bulkhead is open, if, we, if the roof is open. We also want to be listening to can we hear the stream operating? Okay, can we hear glass breaking? Can we hear saws operating? Are we listening to the partner that we're, we're teamed up with? Are you listening to your company officer? So there's a lot of things when they stop. I want them to take, in that computer, I want them to take a lot of information in. So as they're searching, they're, they're, they're thinking about the information. And when they stop, they also have to now say, okay, I passed the chair, I passed the refrigerator, I passed the window, I passed the door. So I want them to take a mental snapshot of where they are in the structure. So even though we're going rapidly, okay, or we're moving, we're trying to move through as, 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 as fast as we possibly can, we also, it's a dedicated pace, so we don't want to miss anything. So I know that sounds, it might be sound a little confusing. There's a lot of things that are going on. There's a lot of things going on a computer, but it's just not flying through the place. No, it's not confusing. I think it's the difference between expedient and rushed. Correct. There you go. That's it. Yeah. I should, very good, yeah. <laughs> I'll be back with more right after this. On any given day, you are tasked to be your best and power through the worst of times, all at a moment's notice. We know the sacrifices you make each and every day. Your success relies on superior equipment and the best training available. That's why Federal Resources is here to support you, the everyday hero. We are here so you can excel. Discover your success at federalresources.com.
what sort of pattern do you recommend? And by that I mean I've had Chris DiBello on. He recommends the oriented search where one firefighter stays at the door and the others can move freely throughout the room. Do you agree with that or are you still sticking to the walls or how do we do this? Well, I tell you what, you know, there's merit in what, I'm not familiar with the gentleman, but there's absolutely merit in what he stated. It all depends on the situation and the experience. That's that's the other key. With well, I don't like to make blanket statements in terms of one type of search pattern is, is absolutely what we're going to do, or the second type of uh, search pattern is what we're absolutely going to do. It depends on the size of the occupancy. It depends on where the fire is located. It depends on what the what the intensity of the fire is. It depends on do we have confirmed victims traps. Those are types of things. Now to that end, if I was searching with an inexperienced firefighter and I was concerned about him or her having problems or or holding me up during my search or possibly getting jammed up during the search, I might leave them at the door. Again, if it was a small structure, I'd leave them at the door and say, hey, listen, stay here, mark the door. I'm going to try to keep in voice contact with you because I want to keep track of them as well and do the search. So in other words, if you say a small, uh, a small structure, a small private dwelling where you have a typical bedroom that might be, you know, 10 by 12, uh, uh, 10 by 15. There's no sense of, of two people going in and doing the primary search in that bedroom. You're going to be tripping over one another. I liken it to having footprints in the sand. You never want to have two of the same footprints in the same same footholds. Uh, so we, we want to be able to cover a little bit more ground with, with people. So that would be one situation. If it was a large area search, then obviously we, we, we either want to do a team search or we would want to you know, be in proximity to one another. But as far as searching goes, we'll generally do, again, it's hard for us because our experience level is, is pretty high, uh, especially in the unit that I work in. Uh, my guys will operate alone in, in a lot of situations. And one guy will take a right-hand lead, the other guy will take the left-hand lead, and, and they'll go through an apartment like that. We, we always try. We have two types of uh, supervision that we have uh, in, in the FDNY. One is where I'm going to communicate with you by uh, radio. The other one I'm going to communicate with you um, more directly. Okay, so there's, there's a functional supervision and, and basically direct supervision with this. But we, we do want to stay in, in, inside some type of voice or, or, or handy talkie uh, communication with one, one another while we're doing the thing. And what tools do you recommend that the crew take with them inside? Again, you know, it all depends on what the building construction would be. If we were going, say, into a project building with steel buck doors and it's a non-fireproof, uh, our can firefighter would have a, a six-foot hook and a uh, two-and-a-half-gallon water can. Uh, our irons firefighter would have either a maul, a halligan, and possibly a, a bunny tool. Our outside vent man would have a hook and a halligan, and our roof man would go to the roof with with the saw uh, or uh, saw a hook or halligan, and possibly a rope. All right, so they, if that would depend. So that would be more of a project building. If it was a private dwelling, um, the tools are, are similar, but you know it's a different mindset. In a private dwelling, I'm not expecting to have you know big forceful entry problems. Uh, doors are, you know are, are generally made out of wood, and they're easier to get into. But at the minimum, uh, when you're searching, uh, you always want to have a tool. Uh, like, for instance, if you're searching in a taxpayer, you absolutely have to have a, a six-foot hook because you want to find out what's going on over your head. Uh, if there's a cock off the plenum or whatever, you need to know if there's fire uh, over your head as, as you're committing in. 
you don't want to get caught with with fire behind you. Uh, it, it, it is dependent upon the, the type of structure that you're going to be searching in. Do your truck crews ever take a line, a lifeline in with them? Uh, anytime that we deal with the commercial structure, our our truck companies, our rescue companies, our squad companies, uh, we're, we're going to be we're going to be taking a rope in with us. Any large uncompartmentalized building. We're going to take a search rope in with us. Anytime, uh, even we, we can even take a search rope uh, if it's if it's a huge uh, multiple dwelling where the where the hallways are are real real long something like that. We can we can bring a search rope as well. So we, we are dependent on, uh, upon a search rope when 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 it's warranted. And duck walk or crawl? Okay, very very good question. I am of the adage that uh, I want them on 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 the hands and knees. Uh, and the reason why I want them on hands and knees is obviously, in my experience, in my 22 years in the FDNY, I've never seen any any victims levitated. They're they're either you know they're on the ground, they're 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 in a bed, uh, they might be in a bathtub, they'll be behind behind a door, they'll be by a window, but generally they're low. That's one reason. And then the other reason is um, the fire environment can change so so rapidly that uh, you know if you're standing up, you're going to miss things. And you know you're going to be in a bad in a bad way, and if if, if something happens and and he drops down on you, you can be in a world a world of hurt real quick. So that's one reason. The other reason I want them on all fours is it always keeps them orientated. And what I say to, to my my folks is stay on all fours and try to keep your hips and your shoulders oriented in the direction that you're going. If a piece of plaster uh, ceiling comes down on you, whatever. And you get disorientated for a second, all right? If your hips are going in that direction, it's easier for you to get back on that wall and be able to follow your path. If you're standing up, a piece of ceiling comes down on you, get hit in the head with a hose line or whatever, now you get turned around a little bit, now what's your orientation? So that's why I really like them on all fours. Great advice. Paul Mastronardi, thanks for talking with us today on Code 3. Great. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for having me. And, and, and I, like I said, I appreciate you getting this, this good news out to these firefighters. And, and hopefully everybody gets to go home and we, we do what we we're supposed to do for the public. And we put some more information on our website at code3podcast.com slash primary search. All one word, primary search. Check it out. Now, here comes your trivia question. This is one of my favorites. You ready? In the movie Die Hard 2, otherwise known as Die Harder, hero John McClane brings down a departing 747 by lighting a trail of leaking fuel on fire. What's wrong with that scene? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Anywhere from 14 to 18,000 volts of electricity shot into my right hand and exited my right leg and right arm. Spent about four and a half months in a burn unit. Sometimes it's not so serious. And once again, I, I refer to the late Chief Brunacini. I can remember when his book first came out, Fireground Command, there were people that were ready to hang him in effigy. And, and nowadays, we refer to him as St. Bruno. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com support.
Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the Bull sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today. Here's the trivia answer. John McClane causes a 747 flown by the bad guys to explode when he lights a trail of leaking fuel on fire. The problem is the fuel, called Jet A, also known as aviation kerosene, is formulated to fit the definition of a combustible liquid rather than a flammable liquid. You can't just hit it with a cigarette lighter and make it burn. McLean's clever trick might have worked on Avgas, which is 100 low lead, but not on Jet A. So there. I'm as big a diehard fan as any other guy, but that movie was so full of plot holes it's not even funny. Actually, it was kind of funny because of that. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.